Welcome to Reaching the Summit podcast. I am one of your hosts, Todd Buckingham. You can find me at on Twitter at Major underscore Mid. And I'm Zach Dosh. You can find me on Twitter at Zachary Dosh. This is Greg Steeman, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Greg Steeman. So looking forward to visiting with you guys. Yeah, excited as always. So one of the more unique things this season is the non-conference schedules. And I don't know that we'll even know exactly what they're going to look like as they're happening. Um, let's. I thought we'd start out with that and just talk a little bit about some matchups that exist right now and, and what teams might be doing to try to get things scheduled. Craig, why don't you start us off? Um, there's a, a lot going on here. I'm, I'm hearing tidbits, little, little things here and there, but nothing really too solid. I know there are some games on the schedule. Why don't you tell us what you know? Well, I, I just know, and I can't speak to a lot of other teams. I know from North Dakota State University standpoint, they're going to go to a four-team event down in Milwaukee. Um, they're also planning. Um, I don't know if it's public yet, but I, I believe that uh, North Dakota State and South Dakota State and USD and UND are going to go to go play a, a round robin of non-conference games down at the Pentagon in early December. Um, North Dakota State is also have also has a game scheduled at the University of Kansas, and I believe they also have a game scheduled at Texas Christian at TCU. Uh, again, these are all in flux because, um, you know, when you when you talk about like the crossover classic or the down at uh, the Sanford Pentagon in late November, we've seen some teams already pull out. Ohio State pulled out. South Dakota State jumped in for them. And then we heard in the last few days that uh, a few other teams, Dayton may pull out, Wichita State may pull out. A lot of that has to do with uh, South Dakota's current spike when it comes to the COVID virus and um, and then the the kind of the the forced quarantine if you travel to South Dakota and go back to your home state then you're not able to, to to do anything after that so again because of the virus a lot of things are in flux but that's all I know right now and so we'll see we'll see kind of how it all plays out I think what every college team is doing right now is they're remaining as flexible as possible everybody wants to play non-conference games if and when they can at the same time what they want to do as best they can is prepare themselves for a conference season because that's going to be what really uh, dictates the opportunity to advance to the big dance in March. Greg, do you know what the requirements are for these schools to be able to play in these tournaments? Is there anything above and beyond the, the, the standard? What is it about three day a week testing that the NCAA is requiring for division one schools? Is there anything more that they have to do? Well, not that I'm aware of, other than depending on uh, the, the level of the spike in the virus, uh, if they travel to a certain state, if it's, a, if it's considered a, a high-risk state, then depending on the state that they're a part of, what are they forced to do? If they're forced to do a seven-day quarantine, a three-day quarantine, a 14-day quarantine, does that take their other non-conference opportunities off the table? So other than yeah, kind of the testing protocol that you referred to. I think it, that's what it comes down to is is what they're willing to risk if they travel somewhere to play a non-conference game. Does that all of a sudden take one or two other non-conference opportunities 
off their schedule because of the of the timing and, and what they're forced to do from a quarantine standpoint. Yeah, hopefully at some point we're able to chat with an actual AD here just to kind of get a little bit more insight into this whole process and what's all going on right now. Because I think what we're hearing from everybody is everybody's trying really hard to put something together. And so I have to believe that something comes together here. But I'm a little surprised there aren't a few more games scheduled. And I, I don't want to make it sound oversimplistic or anything like that. But, um, you know, th- this could, you know, if you have a program like NDSU who really seems to have uh, their act together and an AD that really knows how to, to put these things together, um, you could really get some very neat games on the schedule. I, I don't think anybody's schedule is anywhere close to being full. So if you're willing to travel, travel down to a place like Lawrence, Kansas, I mean, what a one-in-a-decade game for a, a program like NDSU to be able to go down and play in and, and Foggy Island Fieldhouse, things like that. So um, nothing but opportunity out there for some of these schools if if they can thread the needle with, with testing and if our numbers hold and if the, the numbers of the, the host team holds. And I suppose everything's done in pencil these days. So I don't know. It'll be really interesting. But uh, – you know, NDSU is a great example of really taking advantage of the situation to get some really unique games on the schedule. Well, and Zach, that is one of the cool things. You've got NDSU and Omaha both playing at Kansas, SDSU and Omaha playing at Creighton. Uh, so there are some, we'll get to see some comparisons with teams, and that will be fun to watch. Yeah, I suppose it's just like anything else with this whole situation is, you know, we, we, could, we could pout and say, boy, you know, a lot of tough breaks this year, a lot of tough breaks. I don't know what we can do. Or you can look at it as a tremendous opportunity. You know, all these Power 5 schools, they need to fill out their, their schedule too. And uh, if you're able to get your house in order, there, there should be some fantastic once-in-a-career opportunities for some of these schools if you're able to get your house in order. Yeah, you guys make some great points. And, and um, actually had a chance to visit a little bit with Matt Larson this past week. And I asked him about kind of the attendance, you know, uh, protocol. And his thought was there will probably be no fans uh, prior to the first of the year, um, at least at North Dakota State. I can't speak to the rest of the Summit League, but their goal is to allow a certain number of fans. Maybe it's 500, maybe it's 1,000 um, for conference games. And I think that's something that I think uh, every conference team would like to have is uh, most of the teams play in arenas where you could allow, you know, the social distancing to take place and still have, you know, 500 to 1,000 fans in there and create some type of environment. But I, I, it just has to be a fluid situation. The NCAA, again, I'll go back to this, and I'm sorry for my redundancy. They need to get the tournament in at the end of the year. They need the revenue. Um, all the All the schools do. And what they want to do is probably allow that flexibility to take place. And at the same time, uh, they're going to have to make sure that uh, that they uh, allow the conference seasons to play out. They're going to have to be fluid and, and and flexible on their minimum number of games that they that they say have to take place. I, I really do, at the end of the day, think that um, I, I think it has to come down to, you know what, allow if there's a designated conference champion regular season and if there's the ability to play the conference tournaments out i think they have to let that be the 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 overriding factor when it comes to determining teams and their eligibility for the ncaa tournament well greg you said it i mean it's it's all about priorities right rule number one for this year 
have an NCAA tournament, right? That absolutely has to be protected. The second rule is make sure your conference sends a representative that they feel it has, has achieved the, the spot or earned the spot. So don't do anything that jeopardizes either one of those two. If you're able to do some things around those first two things, like a couple non-conference games, maybe a couple fans, things like that, okay. But under no circumstances do you jeopardize those first two things financially, especially after having to cancel a tournament last year. Well, and do either of you know, has the NCAA announced anything on the <clears throat> minimum amount of games? I know they originally announced a total number of games, but have they changed or, or backtracked on that at all? Uh, I think they're sitting back just waiting to see how stuff plays out. I, I there mm. as a, you know, teams are still, you know, Jeff Goodman has put this out on Twitter. You guys have both seen it. You know, when he, when he surveys 50 assistant coaches who are in charge of scheduling and asks them to describe what scheduling, scheduling is like, I know this is a podcast and I could probably use certain language, but I won't. Um, <laughs> it's a mess. And uh, because nobody knows and because things can literally change over the course of 24 hours as to whether or not a team is available to play. So uh, I, I really think it comes down to they just have to allow the schools to do what they can do. And, I, and our, our target point as of right now should probably be, you know, the, the, the turn of the year, you know, the end of the year, January 1st, from there on out that the focus has to be on playing out the conference season as best they can and then positioning themselves to hold the conference tournament. I think the NDSU, or excuse me, the, the NCAA has to be willing at this point to remain flexible and say, let's see how, let's see how the end of the year plays out. And then our goal has to be after the first of the year, can we have a functioning conference schedule? Can we have the ability to play out a conference tournament and then determine a field from there? Because to be honest with you, I don't even know if the NCAA knows at this point how many teams are going to have in the tournament. Yeah, I think the NCAA, we, we've known that they've been their own worst enemy from time to time, and they kind of make things harder on themselves than they really need to be. Um, but one thing the NCAA does a good job of is keeping track of, of their pocketbook, right? And so they may say, hey, you're going to have to have X amount of games uh, played in order to, to crown a, a conference champion and have that person in the tournament, but if it comes down to it and it's, you know, teams aren't quite there, I, I would be shocked if they don't still just put the tournament together and play it, you know, right. like, like it's, it's not going to be fair. Um, but really nothing about this year is um, there's, you're looking at the summit league schedule. We've kind of talked about it on the previous podcast, but um, some teams get, certain teams at home and some teams have to go on the road to play certain teams. Um, there could be a perceived uh, imbalance there. Uh, hopefully the fact that there's not going to be many fans, if any at all helps uh, counterbalance that. But, you know, I, I wouldn't get caught up in thinking and focusing on what's fair this year. I'd get focused on that. The games are just happening first and foremost. Right. Well, and I think you only have to look as far as football to see that they're probably going to be flexible. The Pac-12 yeah. only playing conference games where SEC played non-conference games. 
and and everybody there is eligible for the college football playoff. It's a different way of determining that, but mm-hmm. you almost have to be. States are in control of some of this stuff, not even the NCAA or the schools themselves. So how do you punish a school, so to speak? For and I think, yeah, and I think if you kind of look at just the, the structure of the schedule, you know, there, there's a couple, there's two thoughts. One, do you spread out the schedule a little bit more so that if there's a, an outbreak in the middle of the schedule that you're able to – you know, kind of absorb it within the schedule, or do you leave yourself room on the end? And it looks like, at least the Summit League anyway, has left themselves an ample amount of room at the end. Um, so there'll actually be quite a bit of time between the end of the regular season and the start of the NCAA tournament. So if they need to sneak in some more games or if they need to do whatever they have to do, I mean, they're going to crown a champion and they're going to have an NCAA tournament. Those are two feel. Those are two things I feel pretty comfortable about saying right now. How they get to that point, I don't know, but that's it. Yeah, and you guys make some good points, but if you go back to your priorities that you mentioned, Zach, you know the NCAA tournament is the number one priority, and regardless of how we get there, once we get to an NCAA tournament field, we're going to have the same thing. Everybody's going to be complaining about the teams that were left out, the teams that are in whoever it was, who, you know, and, and at the end of the day, they're going to play it out. So that's not going to be any different. Uh, it's, they'll, they'll put a field together. They'll play the tournament out. I don't even know if the locations that they've designated as far as for the, you know, the, the first round and then the Elite Eight round to get to the Final Four. I don't even know if those locations are going to be the same. I, I think that's all in flux. The goal is to have the tournament, find a way to fill a field, whatever that number of teams is. And then once that thing, once that thing is set, everybody's going to be ecstatic because they've missed it. We missed out on the last year. So, you know, credit to all the institutions, all the conference, uh, you know, the administration and the, and the uh, commissioners for saying, Hey, let's just find a way to get it done. And, and it's going to be a, a work in progress, as we say, uh, building the, building the plane as we fly it. That's what, that's what this season is going to be. And every game that does get played, I think the fans are going to, truly appreciate i think the kids are going to appreciate the opportunity to compete and nobody's losing a year of eligibility so um yeah let's see how it plays out and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch well i think luckily the nba gave the ncaa a a perfect blueprint or almost perfect blueprint of how to play basketball in a very uh controlled environment in a safe manner um that option that blueprint is out there um, so like in years past, they would be moving sites quite frequently throughout the course of the NCAA tournament. My guess is that goes away. My guess is it's a bubble or a series of bubbles, but, uh, the less variables, the better. And uh, I know we're getting a little too speculative here and probably getting ahead of ourselves, but, um, I do think there's some pretty good options out there. I think when it comes to the NCAA tournament, um, people aren't going to not watch, because of how they got to that point. I think just like you said, people are going to be so starved for this that they're going to be watching no matter what. So um, we'll see. It's just sure going to be interesting. This is definitely uh, one for the record books. That's for sure. Yeah. It's, it's interesting as we're talking scheduling, we never thought we would be ta- we, we thought we'd be talking more about matchups and not how are we going to get games scheduled um, which transitions, actually, I had the opportunity to sit down with Western Illinois head coach Rob Jeter. And uh, one of the topics that we talked about was 
just how do you coach and coach a new team during a pandemic in a very unique season? Uh, so we're going to go to that interview now, and we'll be back after that. Well, everyone, we are lucky enough to be joined by Western Illinois head coach Rob Jeter. Uh, coach, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. And, and I want to start out with something that is non-Summit League related. Um, the other conference that I follow relatively close is uh, the Horizon. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to let you know that UW-Milwaukee fans miss you. Um, they may, may not have said that when you were coaching as often as they do now, but uh, they, they all say that Western Illinois is lucky to have you. So. Well, I appreciate that. Tell everybody back. Uh, I still consider it home. Tell everybody back home I miss them too. Absolutely. Okay. So starting with that, at Milwaukee, you took over a team that had just went to the Sweet 16 the year previous. Here yeah. at Western, you're taking over a team that has struggled more recently. Is there any change to your approach in taking over a team with two different types of teams? Yeah, it, there is a different approach. Um, I, I think early, that first team I had in Milwaukee, first of all, there were a group of kids that many of which I helped, I helped recruit to Milwaukee. Sure. Uh, Coach Pearl had taken that program to a whole nother level. Um, and so when I got back there, I knew them. Personally, I knew them. They knew me. Right. Our styles were, weren't that different. Offensively, Coach Pearl was running a style where they set a lot of uh, back screens without an up screen. You know, the thing that I added, you know, the difference is we added an up screen. So the swing and cutters are very similar. Sure. Some of the pressure things that he did was very similar to a lot of the things that, that Bo had taught me. So the, common, the commonality there was Bo's, one of Bo's mentors was um, Tom Davis. Tom Davis was also a mentor of uh, Bruce Pearl. So there was some, some very strong connections there, both, both personally and basketball-wise. So it made it easier sure. coming in. Yeah. And I had a team that was really good. So the culture of winning and culture of success was there. Now I've come to this program and the big difference is that isn't really here because we have all new guys. Yeah, it, there's only two players from last year's team. One's a walk-on and one player of significance was Anthony Jones. That's the only player. So we had to bring in 13 guys. And that means we're starting completely over. Yeah, during a really easy time to start completely over, too. <laughs> Didn't know that when I, when I interviewed for the job and, and ultimately took the job. Okay, this could be maybe a couple weeks, turned into a couple months. Uh, it feels like almost a year now. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> the difficulty now is that you had the summer, right, to really establish a culture. So your mm -hmm. summer would have been spent on culture items making sure guys understand uh, being on time, all those little things that are big for your culture, understanding, you know, how success is going to look for us. Um, you can do all of that in the summer, a lot of drill work where you can break down the, the parts. So it's not, not so much team focused, but more individual parts and just really drill it and drill it and drill it and then get them to see the big picture. Well, that's out of the door now. I mean, when you, when you have a program like now in this time, you just don't have the time to do it. I mean, right. our guys showed up on campus here sometime in August. Um, we weren't allowed to practice until, you know, we had testing that delayed. It was one delay, one delay after the, after the next. And then we had put our guys in the pods. 
So now you're doing some of those breakdown things, but you really need to be working on team concepts. Mm -hmm. So we finally have our team together and we have 20, what, 23 days, 24 days, something like that before our first game. And you're going to have to teach those individual concepts or those breakdown concepts as a group because you have to be able to learn how to play. So it, it changes a lot of a lot of a lot of a lot of the ways you would really want to build a program. Well, and I think that's sometimes something we forget is that we thought things were going to change and yeah. get more back to normal, and then they didn't. So you start making plans for things to be more normal, and then they aren't normal, and and continue right. to not be normal. So yeah, twenty four days before a season starts, wow. putting together wow. thirteen new players. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, and I wanted to go back to that culture point that, that you brought up. Uh, Greg Steeman, who is a former coach that's a member of our podcast team, talks about culture a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and is there anything more you have to add on how you build your culture in a program? I know you already spoke to it a little bit, but yeah. um, uh, whether there be a, uh, a lot of players coming back or even just with this team, a, a whole new group. Yeah, it's all about es- establishing your standards and – a lot of times it's getting guys to change habits. That's all it is. I mean, every kid wants to win and every coach wants to be successful, but how are you going to do that? Right. And we all have different ways to do it. So it's like a ball screen, for instance, there's several different ways you can guard a ball screen. What are you going to commit to? Mm-hmm. What are you really going to stick with your terminology and how are you going to get everyone to to do it that way because when you have pro guys that come in the program, we all do it a little different. Right. Different. Now it's the same exact things, but done a little differently. And a lot of times you're forming habits that fit that old culture. Well, now you haven't established those habits to do it the right way and the way it's going to look and how it all fits together. The easiest way to do it is when you have players coaching players, right? Sure because now they can see the example. They can, their players are a lot more, um, sometimes the message is a little easier because they speak each other's language, right? They know how to communicate to each other. As a coach, sometimes it gets lost because we're coaches, we're a little, view us differently. So they mean they hear things differently um, and our perspectives are a little different. Um, So we're not there. Clearly we're not there and it's going to take time for that. So it's about trying to figure out if you have a couple guys that can do it your way and then you bring a few more guys your way and then a few more. And then pretty soon you have a culture of guys that are policing themselves, coaching themselves and teaching the way you want it done. So right now it's a, it's a lot of a coach being more of a, you know, you're, you're the bad guy right now, more more often than any, you know, you, you're not loving these guys up as much as you would like. And that's the difficult part for me personally. I think the biggest thing I learned in those four years I've been gone is that, you know, these guys need tough love is good, but they also need to know that you really care about them. Right. Absolutely. And when you're building a program, it's tough to really show a lot of that because you're so busy trying to know that's not right. That's not right. That's not right. That's not right. Um, So got to keep that perspective. So as you were talking there, I thought of a question that I had later down the, the list. You're bringing in six junior college players, or, right. or I think that's the number. Um, and three of those, including a member of your coaching staff, came from the same school, Highland Community College in right. Illinois. Uh, was that sort of on purpose, or did they just happen to fit? 
what you wanted to do there? Does it help to have some players that have played together when you're starting a team that's new? Yeah, it, it was intentional. So as you get, as I got the job and you kind of see how recruiting was starting to unfold and how you're not going to better bring kids on campus, you can't go visit them. Um, you know that you're going to need some type of uh, uh, camaraderie built right away. Mm -hmm. So the, the intentional piece was trying to get guys that knew each other, guys that had played together, and then a group of guys that, that know a lot of the terminology and know a lot of the system already. So sure. Coach Chad Boudreaux, my associate head coach, took over program, very successful coach of the year, multiple times, um, had a group of guys that were running a lot of the things that we're going to do and was being taught and coached very similar to how I'm going to coach and teach them. So now you're, you're and that was intentional. And then okay. the other pieces that we added were guys that knew some of these guys. So then you bring in Nick Irvin and then Cal Heikening, who was an assistant for Chad Boudreau, and then Nick, Coach Nick, who's down from Chicago. So now Cam Burrell, who played for Coach Boudreau, also knows Coach Nick. So now you have a staff of guys and, and players that trust is already there. And that's also the big part of building a program. You had to develop their trust. So you're trying to, you try to do that. So we did our best intentionally to develop some built-in trust and to have a base of players that kind of knew each other and knew how to play together. Okay, interesting. Um, I, before I went, go into the rest of the team, I wanted to, to touch on one addition that, that is probably pretty special to you. Your son, Rob, is on the team of freshmen this year. What's it like to coach your son? It's been awesome. It, it really is a blessing to think before I took this job, I was going to have to send him to play for someone else. Um, mm -hmm. Was working hard to see if I can possibly get him as a walk-on uh, at Minnesota. That was going to be difficult. Um, but I've never really had a chance to coach my own son. Right. I've always had to trust someone else to do it. Right. You know, dad's always on the road recruiting. Dad's always gone. Dad is here. You know, dad comes in, spends, you know, it seems like maybe a week at a time at the most you know, when I get my time off and then I'm off doing something else. So it really is special. It means a lot to me. It means everything to me. It's also part of my decision on why, you know, why, why was it, why was right now the time? Well, right now is, that was part of my decision was like, okay, I get a chance to coach my son. Right. Which is very important to me. So yeah, it, it, it's, it's a blessing, man. I, I get emotional sometimes thinking about it. Yeah. Well, and what a special time to be able to do it, you know, right before he becomes his own man on, on his own and you get those four years to, yeah. 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 Awesome. I just, I wanted to bring that part up because for me, that would be something that would be really cool. So yeah, we get yeah. to travel together. We get to hang out. We get to practice. I get to push him and challenge him just like the other guys. They get, he gets to see a different side of me than at right. home. Um, you know, at home, I'm dad. Now you get mm -hmm. to see the coach side of me and then hopefully I can inspire him to, maybe be a coach one day or maybe help him to, uh, definitely going to help him get his degree. Right. Right. <laughs> Paying for it. <laughs> I will make sure of that, but you know, I just want us to, to form that really tight, special bond. And it's, um, it, it is special, man. I'm, I'm so blessed and happy that we get a chance to do it together. Hopefully we can win a championship together. That would be the ultimate. That would ultimate be dream. awesome. All right. So going on to some other freshmen on the team, you, you have what most, 
recruiting services for whatever that's worth consider a really highly touted recruiting class you've got ramin hinton and marcus watson out of chicago and Braden lamar out of las vegas what do you think those three young men uh, will get bring their first year and then going forward for the program those young men it's just a blessing and also a curse for those those three young men right because they they are really talented players but what they don't have is they don't have a junior or senior veteran of the program ahead of them, showing them the way. Right. So we have to do it as coaches and that's a little more difficult. It takes a little more time. So we're doing our best to make sure these guys are ready to live up to those expectations come November 25th. Now, I don't know if they'll quite get there. So then now we're going to have to help them manage through that other part, you know, because in this business, People love you, and they also have a tendency they'll hate you too. And right. if, if these three young men aren't starting off the way others have viewed them to start off, then now they have to know how to adjust to that. And it's going to be an interesting um, process for them. We're happy and very lucky to have them. Um, they're going to be very good pieces and foundational pieces to this program because they're so talented. But they're, but they're freshmen. And right. they're going to have their ups and downs. And we're dealing with that daily with those guys. And so it's, it's going to, uh, it, it looks really good in the excitement of these recruits here on campus and everywhere else. It's, that's what you want. We wanted to bring some ex- excitement in. Now we have to Absolutely. figure out a way to carry that over on the court with success. Okay. So you've got a few veteran players coming in but they're new to the team so two grad transfers in will Carius from the division three level and rod johnson came over from chattanooga yeah and then tamel pearson who's a who's a junior um mm-hmm. coming over from uab how do you mix in the new players with these veteran players that won't be with you longer than a year or two and and some carrying the the water going forward so to speak well, that's the recruiting process right now. Our, our, mm-hmm. We have three, well, two really, three really big recruits for next year to have them come back. That's Anthony, <laughs> that's Will, and Rod. Can we get those guys to stay another year? Yeah. If we can, because of this free year that they get, that would be really important for us because now we have that continuity again, right? And older players that have been through the battles. And I've been really, really please first with Anthony Jones. So Anthony's is essentially we inherited him. Mm-hmm. We have all these new players. He's the only one and really easy for Anthony to, to kind of feel like the outsider, right? Although he's the returning player, but he's the outsider and for him to trust us, for him to believe in us, knowing that we brought in all these other players. And there's a lot of question marks for Anthony. He's done an uh, unbelievable job of really buying in, and really stepping up to be a player that we're going to count on this year. I mean, when you look at Will, Will is just a player. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for him because he's, he's a D3 player like myself. And he's mm-hmm. getting an opportunity that, um, quite frankly, at Platteville, I, I didn't care if I had an opportunity to play Division One because I love Platteville. But, right. you know, he, he has a chance to play at this level. And he's, he's taken it and he's really working hard to make, to make the most of it. I expect big things out of him. And then Rod Johnson, I, I knew him, his family for a long time. And it's just fun to be around what I consider family. People that you know, care about, have, have known for a long time. So it's been, I know they'll be, they'll, they'll have uh, pretty good years. 
Huh. Awesome. And one side question, has Pearson gotten his waiver yet? To Mel, it, it's, you know, I don't know if that's been released yet. I don't okay. know if it's been released yet, but stay tuned. Stay tuned. Okay. I, know, <laughs> uh, I would tell you that uh, good news is coming. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So side oh. comment from myself, I, I can't understand in a year, and I'm not asking you to comment on this, on a year where everybody gets a free year of eligibility, yeah. why we're debating on transfers but that's just that's just my side comment (laughs) that is true that is true and then at the end of this year I guess we're all anticipating like we did this year was the you know like just everyone can play right away right everyone can play so right now with this free year just let them play oh not to met yeah and next year it all it changes over anyways yeah Yeah. 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 just let them play Let, let the guys play just just, you know, I guess you have to make us do the work, right? Write the appeal, do all right. that. If you're willing to do that, let them play. Yeah, Zach Dosh on the podcast said that must have been the person that forgot to put their middle initial or something like that. On there. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, uh, any differences coaching in the horizon versus coaching in the summit? Boy, um, I don't know yet, but I'm looking yeah. at the, the coaches, man. There's some really good ones, uh, some really good programs. Guys yeah. that were assistants, and now they're head coaches, right? And then you've got uh, Billy Donlin down there who was with me in the horizon. Yeah, you're so, used to him. Yeah. I'm used to that guy. I mean, yeah. of all the guys that have to come to this league, he, he does a great <laughs> job defensively, makes it tough for you. Um, but, no, I have a lot of respect for these coaches and, and the players in these leagues are real – and this league is really good. And then you add the, new, a new, um, the newcomers, like, say, UMKC, and now you've got St. Thomas coming in. Yep. And I just left Minneapolis, so I know how special that place is. So, right. no, this league is going to be a lot of fun. Great coaches, great players. So one last question, and then we'll wrap it up. The pandemic changes the way you have to do a lot of things. Um, and I, in my work, we had a change mandated on us, and now there are things I'm taking back and going, I will never go back to the old way. Is right. there anything from this pandemic that you went, actually, this is a small blessing to be able to take with me in future years? I, I just think – for all of us, hopefully, we'll take this, you know, just, you know, when you're sick, you know, when you're not feeling well, we have to, we have to take that serious, right? And I think, you know, we, every year we look at blue season at this. So this is outside of basketball. This is more of a just making sure that, that we're looking after each other. Right. I think that's the biggest thing. I don't care what, if you're a Democrat, Republican, you know, if you like the president, don't like the president, I, that stuff to me is like that, that's a personal preference, right? But we still need to care about and care for each other. So I think hopefully we can continue that piece of it because I know the old neighborhood I used to live in and the people that I'm around now, there, there is a sense of people trying to look after each other, wear their mask and do different things like that. So, so personally, I think if we can continue to do that, we're on the right path. Right. And I think for me as a coach, I know I will continue to do that. You know, Hey, if I'm not feeling well, I need to stay away. If I, you know, if I'm at places and, you know, making sure that I keep things nice and neat, I, you know, I think there's more of a, all those little things you learned in kindergarten, right? Right. right. I usually share that, that uh, with my team once a year, but yeah, I think on a personal side, that piece I would always carry with me on the basketball side. Boy, I, I think I'm very blessed that I was, uh, that I'm a Bo Ryan. Uh, he was my coach and my mentor. And one thing he did was he always kept things simple, just really simple. And during these times, you can't really do any, you, you got to keep things simple because you don't have yeah. the time. 
right? right. You don't have the time to put all these fancy different things and, and worry about it. You just, just keep it really simple. Teach the fundamentals. Understand one out of bounds play. That's all we had when I played. One side <laughs> out is all we had. And we won championships. Right. But I think just the simplicity of things, just keep things simple is what I've learned. And, you know, uh, we got a lot done without being in the office. Hopefully my boss right. will allow us to stay out of the office. <laughs> got a lot of things done this summer uh, right. on the golf course and things like that. Right. That's a terrible joke. <laughs> but no, I, I just think keeping things simple is the one thing that we had that I'm going to take and really like, Hey, that makes, I really get it now. It really makes more sense. Awesome. I, you know what? I think we'll end on those words and I just want to thank you coach. And we're excited for the upcoming season for for your team and, and you personally uh, it's exciting to see the the growth that western illinois has coming well you know i on a personal side i really appreciate those those words um you know we do we do sometimes and there's always good and the bad right and uh for me to kind of basically come back full circle come back close to home back yeah. to illinois to a program very similar to UW-Milwaukee when I was there as an assistant with Bo. I mean, that program had only won eight games before that. You know, we were re really rebuilding that one. But then to know that when you left a place, people really appreciated you. Because while, you, while you're there, you take things for granted, right? Yeah. You know, people say all those things, but you're so busy. You're so busy hearing all the negative that you don't right. hear some of the good. So I'm past all that, so I'm hearing a lot of the good right now. And it, it really does make me feel good and I really appreciate it and all the people back in Milwaukee and I still care for them love have a lot of love for them and I hopefully that team will, will do well I have no no ill will at all back there and it's it's taking some time to be honest with you it's right. taking some time to get here but I'm but I'm finally at that place awesome well thank you coach I appreciate it all right well I want to tell the two of you it was just great to be able to sit down with coach Cheater. And some of the things that were really interesting to me was the fact that he brought in three players and an associate head coach came from the same junior college. And uh, that's coach Chad Boudreau. Um, and then talking about him coaching his son was a really just a cool thing to talk about as, as a father myself, it was fun to hear him talk about that opportunity. Yeah. I think the first thing that sticks out to me is you can, you can immediately understand why he's a good recruiter. Right. You know, he's just a really good guy, really personable guy. And I think his approach, uh, both players and parents like, you know, he, he just sounds like it just in, in that listening to that interview, sounds like a, a guy that you'd be comfortable sending your son to go play for, you know, yep. and you can't always say that about every single coach, but I think he has his priorities right. I like the way he approaches his program. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to see why he's had such early success recruiting. I agree with you guys, and, and um, I, I love the Summit League. I, I love the, the, the variety of, of programs in the Summit League, and Western Illinois is unique. And, and to be honest with you, out of, I don't know, three, if it's 351 or maybe we're at 355, I don't know, somewhere in that number of, of Division One programs, to be quite honest with you, Western Illinois is towards the bottom when it comes to um, – you know, what program would you like to coach at? How can they compensate not only the head coach, but the staff? And what resources do you have to work with when it comes to not only facilities, but also budget? 
And, and Coach Jeter is someone who's been at a lot of different levels. He came from, uh, you know, the University of Minnesota where he was an assistant, but he had been a head coach at Milwaukee. He'd, he's had a lot of success. He's got a, a lot of notoriety. And, and he's well known in this, in this uh, part of the country. I, I will tell you that I'm sure he had to take a substantial pay cut to go to Western Illinois uh, as the head coach. Uh, and then, you know, to, to go there from being a Big Ten assistant but I think that shows the value in his mind of being a head coach of a, a mid-major program and then having the opportunity to, to compete, I think, in a, in a league in the Summit League that has shown itself to be a, a strong mid-major league, typically around that 12 to 15 when it comes to the RPI ranking of, of all leagues in the country. And, and he's shown, you know, with complete roster turnover, that he still has the ability to bring in high-level talent. I think you've mentioned a couple of three-star recruits. That just doesn't happen very often in the Summit League. And so, um, uh, as, as you mentioned, Todd, also when he talks about coaching his son, that's pretty cool. And, and I can speak to that. Both of you can speak to that as parents. I, I have a 17-year-old daughter where I joked one time, I said, if I ever got back into coaching, I, I'd want to get back into uh, the women's side, so I could recruit my daughter, whether she was good enough or not, just so I could hang out with her for four years uh, mm-hmm. as a, you know, as, as a father and a daughter. I, I think that's awesome for Coach Jeter to be able to to work with his son and, and spend every day with him for the next four years. So, uh, no, it was a lot of fun to listen to him, his perspective. I think he's, uh, uh, I, I think he's pretty, very much at peace with himself, to be quite honest with you. And I, I can't wait to see what he does with that Western Illinois program. I liked how, um, you know, he, he generally keeps things fairly simple. You know, I, I like that. I think college coaches that do that have a lot of success. You know, he focuses a lot on culture, right? Getting the right people in the program, developing the right way, developing the right habits and setting the right expectations. And then recruiting just really good players, right? There's, there's just no substitute for that. You can be the best at developing. You can be the best at coaching. But if you don't have the right players – you know, that's not going to do anything for you. So having the right culture and having the right players, that's 95% of it right there. And then just basically keeping them in the right positions as the game goes on and, and empower them to make plays. You know, you don't want them thinking too much. There's, there's been no player that's improved their level of play by thinking a whole lot on the court, right? You know, you want them reacting and attacking and, and being aggressive. And so I really think he's setting the table for that. Um, you'd like obviously a little bit more time to instill culture. And, and that's what I think this year is for him. It's just sort of, sort of a tone setting year, but um, no, I, I really liked it. I mean, you, you can see why, again, you can see why players and, and parents like this program uh, under his, his toolage in terms of how much recruiting success he's had right off the bat. So uh, it's easy to see why I think. Well, and we forget how much success he had at Milwaukee. Granted, he took over for Bruce Pearl, who had who had left with a Sweet 16 team, but he went to the, the tournament twice. His final year was was let go after a 20-win season. Uh, it's I, I'd be excited if I was a Western Illinois fan. And there hasn't been a lot of excitement there, so it's fun to see a program that hasn't had that excitement have that. I agree with you, and and I think it's it's always interesting at the Division One level when you come as it come in as a as a new athletic director, which I think Coach Jeter had to deal with. The most impactful hires you can make are a head football coach, which wasn't an option in Milwaukee, 
And then the, the men's basketball coach. So those are the impactful things you can do as an AD. And sometimes quality coaches uh, end up being a, um, um, you know, I, I don't want to say a victim, but they end up being a product of, of a new AD coming in saying, I want to put my stamp on an athletic department. How can I do that? I can make a change in the most high profile coaching position. Uh, the, the neat thing is, obviously, Coach Cheater was recognized you know, when, when Coach Patino at the University of Minnesota brings him onto that staff. That speaks highly of him. And then his ability to, to be thought of as, as a guy that can resurrect the Western Illinois program that, that showed they can be competitive under Coach Molinari uh, a few years back uh, in the Summit League. And whether it was a unique style, whatever it might be, uh, Western Illinois is still, and, and Zach, you alluded to this, they're down in an area where you can get players as long as you can show them that, hey, listen, it's worth giving us a chance here. It's worth you coming and checking us out. It's worth you coming and seeing how we can make an impact here and and uh, hopefully find a way to work our way up the standings in the Summit League. So I, I think it was a heck of a hire for Western Illinois. Yeah, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be raising the anxiety level of a lot of coaches in the league. You know, I mean, if you, if you're a coach uh, at any other school in the league and you now have to consider the fact that um, staying out of the ninth spot isn't a foregone conclusion anymore. That's a that's a stressful thing. That's a stressful thing. You can like nobody's going to be comfortable in the conference anymore, uh, where that may have been the case the last couple of years. But uh, should be very interesting. Should only help the conference become more competitive and more balanced. Yeah, absolutely. Greg, kind of a side note: Are we able to announce a pos an interview for next week's podcast? Uh, actually, Eric Henderson, uh, South Dakota State head coach, who, uh, as we've talked about in the previous podcast, they are the prohibitive preseason favorite. Um, they were a, a late substitute heading into the, the crossover tournament down at the Pentagon, and I think their first-round matchup, as of now, if the tournament continues on, is Creighton, which is in, in, an interesting thing. Back in the days when I was an assistant at Southwest Minnesota State, Eric Henderson played at Wayne State, and the head coach at Wayne State at that time was Greg McDermott. So they've, their relationship goes back years and years uh, from a coach player now to two coaches facing potentially facing each other in the tournament. But uh, he's a high-energy guy. He's a top-notch person. And I can't wait to have a chance to visit with him and share that interview with, with, uh, with our listeners next week. Fantastic. Uh, well, we have about five minutes left, so I wanted to end today with just some things you might be excited about for the upcoming season. We're we're only 17 days away, which even though uh, no one has, there's a lot of holes in the schedules, we're, we're close. We, we're one podcast away before we get to talk about games, which is going to be fantastic. Uh, just one or two things you guys are excited about for the upcoming season. Well, I'll jump in. Um, I'm excited to see how programs handle, um, you know, the uniqueness. It, it is. It, it's totally unique. Again, credit the Summit League, credit all the institutions for putting this schedule together to say, hey, how can we do this in the most, you know, budgetary conscious manner, the most safety conscious manner, and still get a complete conference season in. And nobody's out there crying about things. Nobody's out there crying about inequities or, oh, we have to go there. They're not coming here. They all understand the most important thing is how do we get these games in? And I mean, I, I'm, I'm proud of, of all the coaches and all the institutions and the, and the league itself for saying, here's how we're going to do it. 
let's just work through it. Let's not make excuses. And I think the best coaches, this kind of reinforces the way the best coaches approach things is guys, we don't need excuses. We, 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 that that's not what championship caliber programs do is they don't, they don't look for reasons to excuse poor, poor performance. What they do is they say, these are great opportunities. And no matter where we're playing, no matter who's in the stands, no matter if nobody's in the stands, we get a chance to compete. And so I'm excited to watch that play out. And I'm excited to watch which coaching staffs find a way to get their, their teams prepared and, and, uh, and play at a high level, regardless of what the cir- set of circumstances um, are that they have to go through. So um, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. And the most important thing, gentlemen, college basketball is not far away. We get to watch these kids go at it. And we get to watch these coaches try to put their teams in the best position to be successful. Um, so I, that's a really overarching, um, uh, I guess, thing that I'm excited about is the fact that the season is not far away. It's going to take place. And everybody has worked together to make it happen. And I think for me, it's all about, you know, learning more about the culture of these programs. Um you know, big believer in the fact that adversity doesn't necessarily build character, but it'll reveal it. And not only have they had uh, plenty of adversity to this point, but my guess, once things get started, there'll be some some more adversity along the line, along the way, whether it's injuries or uh, missing players or, you know, so-and-so's out due to close contact. It's now an all player is going to have to start off the bench. It hasn't played a whole lot, you know, all this stuff. And how does each team handle that? How does their culture carry them through all these different situations? And really, it's a great parallel for life. Like these kids are never going to forget this, right? They're never going to forget this. There's so many metaphors. Like I was saying, you know, just when you think you have things figured out in life, uh, something comes up, right? And there's, you can either complain about it or you can, you know, make adjustments and face the challenge head on. And, and so I'm just really excited to learn about how all these, these programs approach it, how, you know, who handles it the best, who, who struggles with it, will anybody struggle with it? Um, and just uh, like, like Greg said, selfishly, just watching some college basketball and getting some, uh, a sense of normalcy here, especially heading into the winter, is, is something that we're all really looking forward to and very appreciative to have this opportunity to. So. I agree with that, Zach. And, and Todd, I'll wrap this up quick. Uh, I, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more from the standpoint of saying never let adversity catch you off guard. Right now, there might be some guys who are the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th players on their team. And because of the environment we're in right now, if, if they're hanging their head about the fact that they're not where they want to be on the depth chart, that can literally change overnight. And they can be counted on to, to go out there and produce and, and, and give their team a chance to be successful. So I think that's the, the that's the best teaching point that these coaches have in front of them is, hey, we, we have no idea what tomorrow holds. So if you're not happy with where, what your position is today, you have another opportunity tomorrow to not only improve your position, but prove that you deserve, you know, that consideration because you may be thrown into the to the fire of competition even when you least expect it. So, hey, great uh, great opportunities for for a lot of different things, life lessons. Zach, I couldn't agree more. I think that's something that uh, these these young competitors have an opportunity to, to prepare themselves for. Yeah, I, I don't have a ton to add to what either of you said. Uh, two things just kind of 
stuck in my head as you guys were talking though you know i'm almost embarrassed to say and maybe it speaks to how blessed my life is but when the ncaa tournament got canceled last year like that was the hardest part of covid which means i'm have a pretty good life but it also means like this is i love this sport and i love watching it and i'm just excited that we're a, a week and a half or a little bit two weeks away from being able to watch basketball and and then another thing that's maybe a little bonus is we might have a lot of the same players back next year it's a free year for everybody so I almost take it as that like we get this year and some bonus and yes there will be transfers and some people will go play professionally and things like that but there's a chance to get some of our favorite players back for another year so not not, not I really liked how both of you really looked at the positive of what's what's happening right now and I, I think that's an important lesson for everybody yeah, and every challenge there's just great opportunity right I mean there there's going to be things that these coaches are going to be able to still in their players and these players are going to learn that they would never have had the opportunity of learning otherwise. And I think once they go through a year like this, where they really have to be focused and they really have to be disciplined and they have to be mentally tougher than they ever have before. I think when they're done with basketball and they go out into the real world, hopefully it'll make the real world, real world seem easier. You know, they're going to understand a little bit more about, you know, passing on going out that night and focusing and doing your homework and, in prioritizing a little bit more, things like that. So um, just tremendous opportunity, tremendous teaching point. And uh, it, it's just a great opportunity to learn a little bit more about just being a, a disciplined person in general. You guys make great points and you get me even more fired up for this season to get going. So I, I appreciate the opportunity to visit about this again this evening, gentlemen. Yeah, absolutely. It, I, I'm so, it was so awesome to have the interview with uh, Coach Jeter, but it feels like we could talk for another hour, but I'm not sure who would listen to that. So we'll wrap up for today and uh, see everybody next week. Look forward to it.